You're listening to Crossroads International Church Podcast. Welcome. We hope this podcast will bless you from wherever you're listening to it. For more information, go to our website at xrgs.nl. Now, let's get into the podcast. Friends, so uh, welcome. And if you're visiting, then also a very special welcome to you. Uh, so those of you who who come here on a regular basis will know that we are busy with a sermon series on the Gospel of John. And so I want to continue that today. So if you want to take notes, you're welcome. Uh, I remind you that I have prepared daily devotions for you. So the idea behind the daily devotions are just simply this. It is as a church community, we've committed to think our way through, um, preach our way through, uh, read our way through the Gospel of John leading us towards Easter, and Easter is only three or so weeks away, can you believe it? And so the idea is that these, uh, you will use these daily devotions to help you uh, think and pray and read through the Gospel of John. You remember I said to you in week one, the Gospel of John is a spectacular book, and I would strongly encourage and urge you all to take the effort to read through John's Gospel. You remember I said to you that if it all of a sudden, overnight, became illegal to own more than one book of the Bible, you were only allowed to have one, this is the one I would pick. It is a glorious, glorious book. And so we really just, because it's so deep in meaning and so rich, we're really just skimming the surface. And what I want to do in the weeks is just really give you an idea of, in broad strokes, what John is all about and what his, his, what's at the heart of his message. Of course, there are multiple themes in John's gospel, but you remember I said to you there are two key themes, two things that John and all that he does, the way he, he constructs and puts his gospel together, uh, the stories he includes in his gospel, all is there to support and to strengthen and to make clear for us these two clear messages. Number one, you remember, I'm going to repeat it until it's like this, you're going to know it. Number one was just simply this, that John wants us to know that Jesus is God Almighty. That God in Jesus took on flesh, dwelled among us to show us who God is. To show us what kind of a God it is that we, that we worship, that we sing to. To show us what God is like and indirectly, by implication, to show us not just what God is like, but who, are, but who we are meant to be like. The kind of people we are meant to be, the way that we are meant to live. And then secondly, John says, that if we, and here's the second point, that if we believe in Him, put our trust in Him, we will find life in all its fullness, and all its abundance. John wants to make so clear for us that the answer to your questions, whatever they may be, the way to life and truth and abundance is through Jesus, he says. John, we have these themes of light and darkness and the blind and giving sight to the blind and people not seeing and then they can see. And John just really wants to say, I want you to know who Jesus really is, God Almighty, and that if you believe in Him, where, you were, where there was lameness, you can now walk. Where there was blindness, you will see. Where there was death, there's life. Where there was darkness, 
there is sight. John wants us to know that in seeing, he wants us to see so that in seeing we might believe, and in believing we might have life. We also said, remember when you read John's gospel, there's always deeper meaning. Nothing is just the obvious, and all the stories you record always ask the question, okay, John, this is a great story, but what are you trying to say? John writes in such a way that he does not just want to record the stories and the life of Jesus, but he wants the reader, you and I, he wants us to see what it means for you and me, our lives here now today. He wants us to know that Jesus Christ is relevant. And so he uses certain things. You remember last week I shared with you, or the week before, um, that one of the things that John does is he records what's known as the seven I am statements. And it's all there. Remember where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the bread of life. I'm the living water. And all, I'm the resurrection. All that to support these two main themes that runs through John's gospel. To know that Jesus is God Almighty. And if we believe and put our trust in him, we will find life and healing and transformation. Now, I want to share today with you uh, one other thing that John does to support and to help us to see these two crucial and two key ideas. He records for us what is known as, so other week, the seven I am's, but he does something else. He records what's known as the seven miraculous signs, the seven miracles. So in John's gospel, you will come across seven miracles. Specifically, John refers to them as miraculous signs. Why? Because what does a sign do? A sign directs us somewhere. It points to something, and John wants us to see that these miracles are great and they're wonderful, but ultimately we are meant to see that they are pointing us to the fact that Jesus Christ is no mere teacher, prophet, man, but he is God Almighty, and faith in him will change everything for you. They are signs that point us in that way. So what are the seven signs? Let's have a quick look. Uh, so in chapter 2, you will have, is it not? there you go. You remember where Jesus changes water into wine? Listen, if we had time and we didn't have so many visitors, we love you visitors, we wouldn't have so many visitors and more time, oh man, we can spend so much time here. This is so good. This is good stuff. All these miracles point to something deeper, changing water and wine. I've preached on that before. You remember the, where all these uh, 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 pottery jars uh, point to the fact that Jesus that life is found not in religion and rules, but in a relationship with Jesus. You remember all of that? Always deeper meaning. The second miracle you'll find is in chapter 4, and that is the healing of the royal official's son. Chapter 5, we have the healing of the paralytic man. We're going to stop there today and look at a few interesting things. That's the story we're going to look at today. Then the next miracle is in chapter 6, feeding of the 5,000. Jesus walking on water, also chapter 6. Healing of the man born blind, chapter 9. And raising Lazarus from the dead, chapter 11, foreshadowing his resurrection. Always deeper meaning. So those are the seven miracles. So when you read John's gospel, as you do your daily devotions... Read these seven miracles in a different light. Understand what John is trying to do. He's building his case. Yes, Jesus does these things, but what you must take away is that he is God Almighty and life 
and sight is to be found in him when we put our trust in him and believe in him. Okay, so lovely, we're going to look at the third miracle in chapter 5. Are you ready? Let's do it. We're going to quickly go. Let's read the story to refresh our memory. It's found in chapter 5. We're going to read from verses 1 to 11, skip a few verses, and then 16 to 18. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Important. Although we're not going to touch on that, but always when you read John, ooh, why does he include that? What is he trying to say here? Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number, verse 3, here a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Those of you who are astute will recognize it then suddenly jumps to verse 5. There's no, chapter, there's no verse 4. I'll explain why. Let's just finish reading. So then verse 5. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him. Now here we go. Here it is. This is where we're going to focus today. There's many places to concentrate our attention on in the story. But let's focus our attention for today around this question. And boy, oh boy, what a question it is. He asks the man, do you want to get well? <laughs> Woo! Do you want to get well? I mean, on the surface, we would think, um, duh. Hello, I've been here for 38 years. What do you think? Oh, but Jesus knows us all too well. Do you want to get well? He asked the man. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead, um, um, ahead of me. Verse 8, and Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once, the man was healed. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. Very important. John includes that for a reason. We'll touch on that. And so, the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, Congratulations. You've been healed and we are overjoyed for you. We celebrate this day with you that you can now walk after 38 years. We are so happy. Let's have a party and celebrate your healing and new life together. Oh, no, wait. Sorry, that's not what it says at all. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, It's the Sabbath. The Lord forbids that you carry your mat. But the man replied, but the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. I jump to verse 17. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at work, at his work to this very day. And I too am working for this reason. They tried all the more to kill him. 
Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. We'll read the story so far. You can see the main theme for John. He's telling you the story and he's telling it away because he wants to make the point who Jesus is, what his true identity is, and how that, when we believe that, results into life. Okay, um, quick story. First a little story and then we will continue. Uh, N.T. Wright, for those of you who don't know, a well-known, famous Christian, uh, modern-day Christian theologian, tells the story, and I think it relates beautifully to the story of the Pool of Bethesda. These two boys were playing in an overgrown garden. They stumbled upon the old man to whom this estate belonged was not well, and he had not been in his garden for a long time. And these two boys were playing in the garden. They stumbled upon um, this, this square uh, in the garden. And there were these white lines. They brushed the leaves away a little bit. And they saw these, bright, these white lines. And, and there was a net in the middle. And it kind of sagging in the middle. Now, uh, they'd stumbled upon a tennis court. Now, here's the thing, though. They have never seen tennis. They don't know tennis. They've never played it. They have no idea what game this was. But it was clear to them that the lines meant that this was some other game. And the only ball that they had with them was a football. And so they started playing football on the tennis courts. It was okay. But not an exceptionally riveting game. Later on, the old man's son came to visit his dad, and he saw out in the garden these two boys playing football, knowing that well, this must be some kind of a game, but not really understanding how it works, having made up their own game, and he thought, well, let me go and show them. So he walks up to the boys, and he says, do you want to get well? No. <laughs> but in a similar way, he asked, do you... Do you want me to show you how this is meant to work? And so he goes and he tightens the net. He brushes all the leaves away. He gives them tennis rackets and tennis balls. And he says, let me show you how this is meant to go. Interesting. It was far more difficult, but definitely worth it. Keep that story in the back of your mind. Okay, some photos. So the Pool of Bethesda is just to the north of the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Uh, who, who's been there? Great. Okay, so I was there some years ago. I took a photo. There we go. So these are two photos of the Pool of what's believed to be the site of the Pool of Bethesda. Um, the first interesting thing I want you to notice that's not all that apparent or obvious from just reading the story is this. Here's the first interesting thing about the story. We have learned from history and archaeological excavation that the pool of Bethesda... Oh, wait, I need to tell you why, why verse 3 is not there, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. So, uh, hey, did I? Was it, was it verse 4? You are absolutely right, it's verse 4. Okay, why verse 4 was not there? Because in verse 4, it's, it was believed that it was added much later. There are not that many manuscripts that can, that can tell us that this thing, um, that this verse really happened. Um, it does not, um, there are not that many um, 
manuscripts found with that. All the old ones and the reliable ones did not include. And what that verse said, it, 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 it included a story, and you will know this, I'm sure, about an angel coming and stirring the water. Do you remember that part of the story? Now, that was not a part of the original story that we can accurately say this was part of the most or the oldest and most reliable manuscripts that we have, and so that part of the story is not included. Okay, so the interesting thing about the Pulipatesta is this, that's not apparent from the story at first, is that the Pulipatesta was, in fact, not really frequented by Jews. In fact, most people, historians, believe that went there um, because at one stage the Pulipatesta was dedicated to the Greek god or, or the Greek healing god Asclepius. And so most of the people that went there were pagans, not Jewish uh, believers, not necessarily believing in God. And so it was this place where people went who were in need, who wanted healing, who were desperate, who were lonely, who, who, who needed help in some way. And there were these bubbling waters and felt that in some way these bubbling waters hold within them the promise of healing and could do something for me that I so desperately need in my life. And so people would go there, verse 3 says that there was a multitude of people that would go there, the lame, the blind, the sick, who would go there with a desperate hope for healing and for help because I need it. And this holds the promise that maybe this pool of Bethesda can give me that which I so desperately need. It's interesting that Jesus, John wants us to know that Jesus goes there. I think the first point he wants to make is that Jesus is not just for a particular demographic, a particular group of people, and only and a Jew or Gentile, pagan or not, whatever label you want to add, Jesus has come for us all to show us who God is and bring salvation to everybody. So that's the first little thing I think that John wants us to notice here. Jesus comes to that place, this pool of Bethesda that promises much, but clearly delivers very little. He had been there for 38 years. There are many pools of Bethesda in the world, isn't there? We'll get back to that. So Jesus comes to this man. And John says, and, and he sees him, and, and, and without much fuss, that which the pool of Bethesda could not do for this man in 38 years, Jesus in a moment, in an instant, in a flash, without much drama or fanfare, pick up your mat and walk. And Jesus brings and fulfills all that this pool had promised and stood for, John wants us to know that Jesus is the one that delivers. And so I want to say this to you as we launch into the story. John, I believe, wants to say to us in part that there are many pools of Bethesda in this world. There are many people and places and ideologies that holds the promise of healing and life. 
And because within each and every one of us, there is some degree, there is some degree of paralysis in each and every one of us. There is some manner of lameness in all of us. And so we all deeply desire life and change and transformation and healing on some level, in some degree. And so we go looking for these pools of Bethesda and we follow this person and that ideology and this worldview because they tell us, come here, you will be healed. Come here, if you look like this, you will be happy. If you have these things, you will, you will be healed. If you live here, if you do this job, and so if, or if you follow this ideology of this, then it will. And so John wants us to know there are all these pools of Bethesda, and they hold promise, but they deliver very little. And he says, Jesus comes along. Because remember, Jesus said, I am the life. I am the way, the truth. John wants us to know in this miracle that in an instant he delivers with all these other pools of Bethesda only but promise. Jesus, faith and belief in him will bring the healing which you desire. So important. So Jesus comes to the man and our story earlier asks him, you've tried all these other things. You've been lying around here for 38 years. I think it's time to admit that it's not working. Do you want me? And you've, and you've tried your own way. You've tried to go here and there and this. Um, do you want me, like the son of the estate owner, do you want me to show you how it works? In his question, do you want to get well? You've been playing this game in the wrong way. <laughs> let, me, let me brush away the leaves. Let me tighten the net, Jesus says. Let me give you the right tools and equipment. Let me show you how it really works. It's what John wants us to see. In Jesus, there is healing and life. Love this. Such a beautiful story. Interesting to note, this is beautiful. Will you note that the man then responds to Jesus? But I love how, it, remember Jesus came to show us what God's like, the kind of God that we serve. Notice, notice it's very similar to the lady, the Samaritan lady at the well. This man responds not from a place of faith. So Jesus asks him, do you want to get well? The man doesn't go, I believe you are the son of God and I have faith in you. Heal me now, please, Jesus. No. He doesn't respond from a place of faith. He responds from a place of despair. He goes, listen, I've been here for so long. I'm alone. Nobody sees me. Nobody helps me. I'm desperate. And I love how it's similar with the lady, with the Samaritan lady, but she doesn't go, Jesus, you're, she goes, I'm alone. I, I have no husband. I have no help. I am desperate. And I love how I see in the story that Jesus responds and honors even if we don't, even if we play, say, God, I, I want to believe, but I don't yet believe. I can't believe yet. And so I, I cry out to you, not from necessarily a place of faith, but for just from a place of sheer desperation, how God honors that. I 
love how God even responds to our cries of desperation. And then faith comes. Then faith follows. I mean, he had to believe because he did what Jesus told him to. Jesus said, pick up your mat and walk. And, and so faith must have followed out of desperation. It wasn't faith first for this guy. But eventually there was faith because he then picked up his mat and he walked. <laughs> Shows us the kind of God that we serve. And I just want to say this to you today. If you are here today, I don't know who you are. I don't know your story. If you're visiting, then God bless you. I just want to say to you, I want you to meet this Jesus. That even if you're here today and you are experiencing paralysis in some way, and you're struggling, say, Paul, there's just too much about this that, I just, that I'm struggling with. And I'm struggling to just stand up there and say, I believe. But I, I, I cry out in desperation to God. I want you to see how God honors that. Faith will follow. I was speaking to one of our elders uh, yesterday and shared this idea that used to be inherent in our culture here at Crossroads, belonging before believing. In other words, saying you are welcome. You belong here. Even if you don't yet believe, we want you to be part of us, and we pray for you that the believing will come. This is kind of what I see here. That's the kind of God. It just is such an exhibit of the love of God for you and for me. First of all, John, uh, John says, Jesus asks the question, do you want to get well? And then John presents Jesus as the answer to that question. To get well happens not at the pools of Bethesda, but in the Son of the living God, Jesus Christ. But then that question holds, there's another part to that question of do you want to get well? And I want to share that with you. So I think Jesus asked that question Hey, are you sure you want to get well? Because he knows that his healing and his transformation and the new life that he offers us will take us into a place that we have never been before. And that journey, albeit worthwhile, is never easy. And I want to just say that today as well. I'll talk to the parents of those who dedicated their children just now. But I think John wants us to see in this question that Jesus knows that healing and change moves us into a new place, into new territory that we've not been before. And that journey is hardly ever an easy one. Faith in Jesus Christ is always worth it but never easy. That there would be some changes in his life because he's about to be healed. Some changes, some things that, that's going to need to be different in his life because now he's healed. Okay, well, now you can't just lie around the pool anymore. Now you've got to actually pick up your mat and walk. He's going to have to find a job for the first time in 38 years. Good luck with that, buddy. Fend for himself. Do you want to get healed? Do you want to be well? The new life that Jesus brings will always...
always be requiring of us. And then you can fill out the blank. Requiring what, Paul? Well, might require of us to, to leave behind people and places that brought paralysis into our lives. And for me to live in the fullness of God's healing and transformation and change, I might need to leave certain things behind, like the pool of Bethesda. I can't carry the pool of Bethesda around with me. I need to leave it behind and walk into the newness that God's got for me. But it also brings a difficulty into our lives that is unexpected. It might be requiring of us forgiveness. To really know the change that God wants to bring into our lives. He might, it might require of me to forgive someone that has hurt and damaged me in my past. The new life that Jesus brings is always worth it, but never easy. And will always be requiring of us in some way. Some of those ways are unexpected, as this man found out. So he's healed. He picks up his mat, and immediately he discovers now he's a sinner. He discovers that not everybody is happy and celebrating his new life with him. And can I just say to you, not everybody's going to be happy in the new life that you've committed to following Jesus. Not everybody's going to celebrate it with you. Not everybody's going to go, oh, great, you can walk after 38 years. We're so happy you're healed. You've changed. You're a new person. Let's celebrate. Let's have a party. No. There will always be somebody, what? On the Sabbath? What are you doing, you horrible man? How could you? And now he discovers he's a sinner. Why? Because he's broken one of the many Sabbath rules. So by the way, did you know that there are like 38 categories? Not 38 rules around the Sabbath. 38 categories, and each category has a list of rules. And so because he's broken one of these, he's now a sinner. Interrogated by the religious leaders. He did not expect that. Did he? It's like, oh, happy days. Let Jerusalem know I can walk. Oh, boy, no ways. Interrogated by the religious leaders. Oh, wait, it gets worse. Then when they find out who it was that healed him, oh, boy, now he's not only a sinner. Now he's in cahoots, a collaborator with somebody that they want to kill. you want to get well? John wants us to see that Jesus is the answer to that question. But don't think that it is just going to, you're going to wake up Monday morning and everything's going to be moonshine, moonshine, sunshine and roses, and you will be have no difficulty at all. New life will be worth it, but not easy, and there will be challenges that will be requiring of you. There's certain things that are going to have to change and be left behind. As this man experienced, not everybody was happy with his new life. And he had to leave certain friends behind, no doubt. People that he'd been known, uh, he knew them for 38 years. 
And now he's in cahoots with this. I want to share one more thing with you, then I'll stop. And then you can go and celebrate and have your cake and coffee and, and lunch with the families. One more thing I want to share with you. Um, in the story, we come across a verse that is problematic for many. Uh, this is now, you know, for those of you who have been in church for a while, uh, they, let me read you the passage very quickly, then you'll know what I'm talking about. Verse 11, but he replied, the man who made me well. So this is the newly healed guy speaking now to the religious leaders. He says, them, but the man who healed me said to me, because they were cross with him, right? They were interrogating him, said to me, pick up my mat and walk. And, and so they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick up your mat and walk? And the man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. And then verse 14, later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, and here's the verse. See, you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Now, here is a verse that is fascinating. And many of us who've been in the church a while have come across this verse. I remember the first time I came across this verse. I remember the first time I was confronted with this verse. I was a 10-year-old boy lying in hospital, and I had, uh, was about to the next day um, have my first hip operation, 10 years old. And somebody from some church comes. Uh, so back in those days, this is in South Africa, uh, the, the people would, you know, just anybody would be allowed to go and be there. And so, and so churches would send people to go and, you know, pray for the sick and, you know. And so I'm lying in bed, operated on the next day. This lady comes in with a man. And um, really the gist of it was this verse. That you or your parents have somehow sinned. And that's why, you know, this has gone wrong. And um, so, you know, you're going to have this operation now. But be sure that you, you know, give your life to Jesus and that you stop sinning. Otherwise, something worse is going to happen to you. So now you can imagine this 10-year-old boy. So I'm like, operator, I get out of, and I'm like, oh, Lord, please let me be good. Please let me be good because this operation was so bad. I'm going to go through that again. Obviously, I wasn't good because I've had like 20 sons then. But anyway, um, like, please let me be good. Just, you know, just please don't let me die in the operation. Let something not worse happen to me. And so that verse so often for many leads to kind of a, a slot machine theology, this kind of thing. Well, if you put good things in, then good things come out and if you put bad things in, bad things come out. And so often this is how we think of God. And, we, and, and even though we may not verbalize it, we kind of think this way about God and our relationship with God. Well, listen, if I'm bad, then bad things are going to happen to me. And, and if I don't stop doing bad things, then even worse things are going to happen to me. And, you know. And so this verse often is problematic. Remember our golden rule? Context gives meaning. We derive meaning. We make sense of it from within the context. So I want to suggest maybe a better way of reading this verse, and maybe this will help you in the future. If you stumble upon this verse, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. I think perhaps a better way of understanding this within the context, I think Jesus was saying, he said, look, not everybody is happy with you being healed, as you have discovered. 
you've been interrogated by the religious leaders because you have, what, sinned by doing what? Breaking the Sabbath rules. And so I think what Jesus was saying here, say, listen, go here from now. Leave this place and follow the rules. <laughs> Stop sinning. Or something worse than just being interrogated is going to happen to you. Jesus' understanding where him constantly aggravating these religious leaders, where it will lead for him, it will ultimately lead to his death, it will lead to the cross. And I think a more responsible way of understanding what Jesus is saying here, especially in the context of chapter 9 and chapter 13, that Jesus is saying, stop sinning, follow the rules, or something worse is going to happen than just being interrogated. Leave their disdain and their anger up to me. Leave it. I will take it. You go. Or something worse may happen. Might be a better way of understanding this. So Jesus comes to us with the question, do you want to get well? And what John wants us to see here is, as I wrap it up, dear friends, On the one hand, if you have been a resident of the pools of Bethesda, you have tried this, you've been here, you've been there. Say, God, just I need, I need help with this paralysis in my life, whatever it might be. John wants you to see how Jesus comes to those even whom society have rejected. Those in despair even if they respond not from a place of faith at first, but from a place of despair, Jesus responds to our cries. And Jesus wants to meet with you and bring life and transformation and healing. But he also wants us to know that this new life that Jesus gives us, worth it, but not always easy. I want to say to you parents who have... Made this beautiful decision to dedicate your children to God today. As a parent of two teenagers, I want to say to you, and I was reminded of this just this week again, that you making the decision to, to, to say, Jesus, you are Lord of our lives, of this family, and, and we want to raise our children in your ways is absolutely worth it and will lead to life, but it's not always going to be easy. For you find yourself in a society that does not celebrate Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but instead offers many other pools of Bethesda where your children can go and find life and healing. And are not going to be happy with you at times or celebrate with you your joy of saying, we've chosen Jesus. And it's not going to be easy for your kids at times. And I pray that God will give you strength and wisdom in those moments. I reminded just this week, uh, my daughter is at 12 Plus, the community center. My daughter, I, and I'm so sorry for this. I just, so again, I'm just confused. Anyway, so my daughter and her kids, and uh, uh, friends, sorry. <laughs> She's only 15. So my daughter and her friends, so they one or two friends that just really annoy me. And, I'm not, and, I, and, and as a dad, I'm not happy with these friends. And I don't think they're the best friends for her and whatever. And so I was giving her a hard time about these friends. And I'm like, Bethany, just, you really, I, I'm, I just really don't want you to, you know, parents, right? I'm like, and so at one point, she just burst into tears. And she's like, Dad, 
There's no one else. <laughs> She's like, otherwise I'll be alone. Not everybody believes in Jesus. I'll have no friends. And I just felt so bad. It's, just, it's not going to be easy. The path that you've committed yourself as a family and your children, the path that you've set yourself on, because the world offers pulls of the taster. But it is always. And to reach out to Jesus' invitation, John wants us to see in this miracle, will always, even if it's difficult, lead to healing and life. And I pray that for you. Amen, I'm done. The end. Thank you for listening, and we hope that you have a wonderful week. See you next time.